And this Easter, I want to do something a little different, something that's a little out of the ordinary for us and a little unusual uh, for me. This sermon is going to be framed around two songs. And then in between is going to be an imaginary dialogue between two women. And so each of the songs will represent uh, one of the women. And so this is a, a tale of two songs. And so these two women are two women who know what it is to experience heartache, two women who know what it is to have shattered hopes, shattered dreams, shattered lives. So for the next 25 minutes, I want you to imaginatively enter in, and I'm going to need some help. I need the help, some help from the Holy Spirit. I'm going to need some help from you because you are going to have to suspend uh, belief for a moment and not get tripped up that you are looking at a middle-aged balding man who's speaking in a thick southern dialect and you're going to have to do the imaginative work that uh, I am a first century Palestinian woman speaking to an 18th century woman who's been crushed by the French Revolution. So this is not going to be easy, but I think we can do it together. So together, we'll try to enter in. And my goal for you this morning is that we would imaginatively enter in and feel what would it have felt like to experience the risen Lord what would that experience have felt like? And to do it, we're going to frame it by a dialogue between Mary Magdalene and Fontaine, who's a fictional character who perhaps is probably the most miserable of all of the miserable ones from Victor Hugo's novel Les Mis. And to summarize her story, I want you to hear her song. And these, this is a couple verses from one of the most famous songs and one of the most famous musicals of all time. And it's a song that powerfully captures despair. This is a song that's one of the probably the most raw descriptions of a life that has been shattered by shame. And as you listen to this song, I want to know, can you identify with someone who sings like this? Can you resonate? So let's listen first to her song. This is Anne Hathaway's rendition from the 2012 film. Tigers come at 
sympathize with that song? All those shattered hopes, the heartache, the mess. What do you say to someone who's had an experience like that? Who can speak into a cry of despair or a cry of shame like that? The cry of fear, regret, loss, cry of death. I thought Mary Magdalene might be a good conversation partner, an imaginary one. Even though here's Mary, uh, former prostitute, possessed by seven demons, loved much because she was forgiven much, the last at the cross to leave, the first at the tomb to arrive. So let's just take a moment and imagine what would Mary say to Fontaine or someone like her who had experienced heartache like that? She'd probably begin and say, Ah, Fontaine, child. Come here, let me hold you, let me weep with you. Let me tell you I know your song, for your song once was my song. I know what it is to feel unclean, unlovable, untouchable. Ah, oh, child, we live in a hard, unforgiving world where it seems there is no mercy. I know what it's like to enter into a room and have the whole room turn away from you in disgust. I know what it does to your soul when love gets corrupted and you become an object and it becomes dangerous and unsafe. I know what it's like to struggle every hour of your life with being so identified with your sin that it ceases to be something you did, but it becomes who you are. But child, I know. But hear me. That dream you dreamed was not just a dream. Life really is worth living. God is forgiving. There is a love that will never die because death tried to kill it and lost There has been a ransom paid. I know the tigers you speak of. I know what it is to have your hope torn apart and your dreams turned to shame. I know what it is to have life kill the dream you dream, but I also know what it is to rise again. 
I know what it is to find safety and security. I know what it is to have a face. The most beautiful face you will ever see turned towards you, not away from you, but turned towards you in total delight. Can I tell you about him? He has a name. Can I tell you about how I met him, became his friend, and he became my redeemer? Can I tell you about my gracious redeemer and friend? Oh, yes, he's a friend. He's a friend of sinners. And he came seeking those who sing songs just like yours. And I remember when I first heard about him and hope first began to awaken in my heart. I had first, we heard the news, we heard the gossip, we heard the stories and all those tigers. Oh, I know about those tigers, those petty, small-minded, disdaining men. They would mock him and they mocked him by calling him a friend of sinners. <laughs> Can you believe their ridicule gave us hope? Really? Could he be? They had no idea. Their taunts fired our hopes. Could he really be a friend to someone like me? And then we heard that he wasn't just a friend of sinners, but he forgave them. And we saw from a distance at first, but we saw how he treated people, how his kindness sparked our hope. We wondered, could he help? Would he help? Would he accept us? Would he see us? Would he turn his face away from us in disgust? Or would he extend his hand in mercy? And yes, child, he did. And oh, we came. Oh, he came. The most shameful collection of the battered and the broken misfits you ever saw. Oh, we came. And there was so much we didn't know. We didn't know, oh, if John, my beloved John, if he was here, he, he could speak with such poetic power about how in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and He was with, in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And we didn't know any of this. Oh, all the things that our beloved brother Paul tells us about him that causes my head to spin. We didn't know any of it. All we knew is that he is willing and he is able to help us when we come to him. All we knew is that he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we came. Oh, it was the, the lonely, the guilty, the ashamed, the anxious, the panicky, the betrayed, the betrayers. We all came. If you were going to build a kingdom, you don't do it with these people. But oh, we came because we knew his hand of mercy was always extended to whoever was willing to take it. And for me, for me, I saw in his face. For the first time in my life, here's a man who will see me. Here's a man who will keep me. Here's a man who will not abandon me. When I come into his presence, I receive his smile, not his scorn. And in his presence, I find peace, not war. And so, oh, we came. And oh, how we loved him. 
We, especially the ones who have been forgiven much, we loved much. But then, oh, how we cried that day they killed him. Oh, child, I've known dark days in my life. I have known dark days, and when you sing your song, it reminds me of the darkest day I have ever experienced. I have known what it is to anguish so deep you don't feel like you can continue, but I have never known a day like the day they killed him. I can't think of it now without shaking that disgraceful trial, those spineless judges, those pompous and posturing men, those lying witnesses, those cruel soldiers. Oh, but to have to watch, to have to watch as they shattered him. But what shattered me, what hurt me the most was the way they mocked him the way they delighted in humiliating him. The shame they poured on him. It was like the mob was drunk with their own hatred and they humiliated him. I can still hear their taunts and see their mocking and spitting and beating over and over and over and a flame fired in me. How dare they? How dare they speak to him like that? How dare they mock and jeer and sneer and I was helpless to do anything about it. See, you and I, we know what it's like to be the object of public humiliation. And when I was publicly shamed, he stepped in and he bore it for me. And there he was, publicly stripped, mocked, humiliated, and I couldn't do anything about it. And I cried out to God, why, God, why? It should not be him on that tree. It should be me. And I would beg the Roman soldier, take me instead, not him. And you know what it's like, the agony of watching someone you love being broken before you, and you are helpless to do anything about it. And here's the one who healed me, who forgave me, who saw me, who restored my dignity and covered my shame, he's being slaughtered. And I can't do anything about it. But Ah, Fontaine, what kind of man was he even on the cross? Even there, do you know what he did? Even there, he blessed. He did not curse. Oh, that beautiful voice, that voice that cried out, Father, I hear him beginning and I say, yes, call him down. Yes, Father, crush them. Father, wipe them out. Yes, Father, rescue him. And do you know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Who says that, child? And even there, as his hand is pierced and pinned to the tree, it is extending mercy to those who would receive it. And then all went dark. And all creation expressed what we all felt. Midnight descended in the middle of the day, and the darkness fell. And this was no ordinary darkness. This was deeper. 
This was thicker than any darkness I have ever known. And that same beautiful voice cried out again, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that sent shockwaves through all of us. My God, no, he never addressed him that way. It was always my father. And now it's my God. And that was the deepest moment of darkness I've ever known. If he, if he could be abandoned, then what hope is there for me? And from that moment on, it was just all one confusing blur. I was sleepwalking like a living, walking through a living nightmare. The darkness descended and it stayed the rest of the day. It was the chaos of the Passover being the next day and the Sabbath and trying to get the body down and it was chaotic. And then the, the anguish in that moment, I tell you that more than just Jesus died on that cross. When I looked at our band of misfits who had flocked to him, our hopes, our dreams died that day too. And something in me died. Dazed, confused, I sunk fully into grief and despair. And when I hear your song, child, I think of this day. And if I'm honest with you, Fontaine, in my past life, I probably would have just ended it all then. But I knew he would not want that. That would not honor him. And so in that moment, I was resolved. Do you know that moment when utter despair gets hardened into determination? And you are determined that nothing will stop you. I could not stop his death and I could not stop his public humiliation. But by my life, he will be honored in his death. And he will have a proper burial. And so we waited. And then early on the third day, I rose with several others. We gathered up all we had and we went to the tomb because we would honor him. <laughs> I think back now and I think, <laughs> what were we thinking? <laughs> I mean, who was going to roll away the stone? Who was going to deal with those Roman soldiers? Who was going to actually lift the body so we could prepare it? We didn't know. But all we knew is that we would honor him. One so beautiful should not die so savagely. And then it all became a dream, but this time it wasn't a dream like nightmare. It became like a living dream. And <laughs> you actually won't believe what happened next. I don't really believe what happened next. We arrive at the tomb and there is no guards. And there, the stone is rolled away and there is no body. And then there are these, these two men, I think, and they are seen. And all we can think of, it's, all I can think is, no. You will not stop me from honoring him. I will honor him. And if you took him, tell me where you laid him. I will find him. And then there had to be a gardener. Who else would know where the body was? So I asked him and these three men, do you know what they asked me? <laughs> I don't know what men are like in France, but this is the curse of all men to ask obvious questions. They asked me, why are you crying? <laughs> what? Why, why am I crying? 
Why am I crying? Well, I don't know. Let's count the reasons. Perhaps I'm crying because I just saw the best man this world has ever seen humiliated and slaughtered. Perhaps I'm crying because for nearly 400 years, my people have endured this long, unending night. And we have continually cried, how long, O Lord, how long will you hide your face from us forever? And in his face, we caught a glimpse of the face of the Father smiling down on us. Why am I crying? I'm crying because my Lord is dead. That's why I'm crying. <laughs> but I didn't know I, I didn't know who was asking me those questions. Those weren't three ordinary men. One was actually my Lord. And let me tell you something about my Lord. When he asks questions, he doesn't ask them because he needs answers. He asks them because he wants you to see. There's something you can't see. And because I've been plunged into grief and despair, I couldn't see. I couldn't see what the stone rolled away was telling me. I couldn't see what the empty tomb was telling me. I couldn't see what the grave clothes were telling me. I couldn't see what the angels were telling me. They were all crying out to me. Why are you crying? You're crying because you think your Lord is dead and no, he is not. He's not. But I still couldn't see it. And I actually couldn't see it until he called my name. Oh, he called my name and said, Mary, that beautiful, blessed voice, that mighty and merciful voice, the sweetest sound your soul will ever hear is when the Redeemer calls you by name. He knows his sheep and they know his voice and he knows their name. And I will tell you, this wasn't the first time I had stood with him outside a grave and he called someone's name and they came forth living. But that's a story for another time. This time, he called forth my name. And whatever died in me on Friday came exploding back to life on that Sunday. And I squealed, I giggled, I cried, I hugged him. Have you ever been reunited with someone you thought you lost forever? And I grabbed onto him so hard and so tight. And I thought, I will never let you go again. <laughs> How long did I hold him? I don't know. Too long. He told me to stop. Not long enough. You know, they tell me. I've been told that when you stare death in the face, your whole path can flash before your eyes. I don't know about that, but I can tell you when you stare life in the face, at that moment, my whole past, all my past pain dissolved right before my very eyes. And in that moment, all the grief of my life was gone. All the weeping was gone. The sorrow was gone. 
And I caught a glimpse of a world in which those nail-pierced hands were wiping away every tear from every eye, and death is no more, and mourning is no more, and there is no more crying and no more pain, and all the former things are passed away. I caught a glimpse of that. And looking into those fiery new eyes, I felt like he said, yes, yes, that is why I had to die. But not yet, not yet. The time is not yet. I still have work to do. I still have to ascend to the Father, and you have work to do. You have to go and tell my brothers that you have seen the Lord. And in that moment, I said, yeah, okay, yes, yes, whatever you ask, I will do. Your wish is my command. I will go, I will tell. And like a living dream, I ran and twirled and skipped and danced all the way through the streets of Jerusalem. I won't tell you who's up at that hour in the morning, but to all of them, I said, he's alive, he's alive. I laughed, I cried because he's alive now. So am I. And as I ran to tell his brothers... He gave me a mission, and he put a song into my heart. Can I sing my song for you now? This is a song that my people sing to celebrate our king. Can I sing it for you now? No guilt, no shame, no curse, no change. Fontaine, I know your song. Your song was once my song. But please listen to me now how I, as I tell you how my song can now become your song. Oh, I wish John was here, that beloved man who wrote his book to tell us how we can believe and in believing find life in his name. But it's just me. 
But I can tell you that someone who sings a song like you sing doesn't mean that he's ashamed of you. It means that he has special affection for you. And it looks like we've gathered a crowd here to listen as I tell you, but you are the one who he came to seek and to save. He is seeking you. That is why you are here now, listening to my story. Do you think this is some coincidence? He's not turning away from you. Through my voice, he is turning towards you. Oh, how can I communicate this to you? Oh, you are, so you are French, right? I don't know much about your people, but we all have national symbols that define us as a people. And you, your people have what? What's your, your national symbol? You have this great iron tower that evidently can send out people's voices all throughout the world and they can tune in on a little box. It's amazing. And then you have this arch, this arch that celebrates one of your great king's victory. Well, let me tell you, my people, we have great symbols too. And the greatest symbol we had of our glory and our pride and our calling to bless the nations was this temple. And this temple was a place where God himself dwelled. Heaven is his throne, the earth of his footstool. And in the temple, he dwells with us. And inside that temple, in the most precious and holy place, the holiest of holies that only the high priest could go in once a year was this ark. And this ark was surrounded with two angels on each side. And in the middle was the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was where the high priest would go and he would pour out the blood of the lamb so we could come back into his presence and we could be redeemed and God could dwell among us. And you, you know what, John, John, that blessed little boy, you know what he tells me? He tells me, Mary, don't you see? You. God chose you to be the first one in to the new Holy of Holies. You were the first one who was drawn in to stand between the two cherubim and come up to the high priest who was the, has shed the, his blood to redeem us. You were the first one in. And I say, oh, John, how you talk? Me? Me? Of all the women in the world, why would he choose me? And then I ask his blessed mother, and she says, don't look at me. I don't understand why he chooses who he does. Why would he choose me? I don't know if I really am the first one in or not. I smile and say, oh, does that make me the high priest? Now I'm dressed in his dazzling, splendid, royal, uh, regal robes with holy unto the Lord stamped on my forehead. And he smiles and says, maybe so. I don't know if I'm the first one in or not, but I do know the curtain has been torn and now he's seeking worshipers that will worship him in spirit, in truth. And Fontaine, just like your people, has this iron tower that sends voices all throughout the world. My God has his people that he sent out all over the world to send, to spread his voice and give his message. And what he has told us to proclaim to all is that whoever repents and believes will find forgiveness and life in his name. What is repentance is to be genuinely sorry for your sins 
It's when the old self dies and then faith is the new self rising again. What does it mean to believe? To believe is that you believe this gospel I'm telling you. That you believe that Jesus died from your sin for your sins and he rose from the dead and he rules over all of life. And to believe is to cling to him and to trust him and to follow him. And we too have our national symbols of our king's great victory, but it is not an arch. It is a cross. And he's promised when you go to that cross and you cling to it, he will hear you. And his hand of mercy is still extending to all of those who will receive it. And so now if you'll turn to him and if you'll cry out to him, what I can promise you is that he will bless you, not curse you. The curse that we deserve fell on his son on the cross and he will keep you. He will not abandon you. See, I wanted to take his place on the cross, but I couldn't because he was taking my place. And then he will make his face to shine upon you and he will not turn away from you. The father's face turned away from the son so that now if we trust in him, it can turn towards us. He will turn towards you, be gracious to you and give you peace. And you will experience war no more. And now Jesus's father can be your father. His God can be your God and he will bless you and keep you. He will make his face shine upon you and give you peace. So cry out to him now, child. Cry out to him. Here, I will lead you. Close your eyes. Open up your heart and call out to him and say, Almighty Father, I admit that I have sinned against you in my thoughts and words and actions in what I have done and left undone. I am truly sorry and I repent. Thank you for forgiving me my sins through the death of your son. And now I turn to you and give you my life. Amen. And now may the love of a dying Savior, the power of a risen Savior, and the hope of a returning Savior be yours now, today, this week, forever and always. Amen. Go in peace.